All right, well, we're, we're calling this series Faith, really simply, um, but kind of the heart behind it is seeing our way home, seeing our way home. And so kind of the key verse for this series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to just start by reading this verse, and then we'll look at some context around it. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't do that very often. <laughs> that's just my, that's my confession to you guys. I don't do that very often. I'm, I'm very present here in what I see and what I experience and what's very real right in front of me. But, but God is inviting us into an understanding that our road, our journey with him, often we're not going to see clearly. We're not going to see clearly what's going on, what he's up to, what's going on in the circumstances of our life. And so he reminds us that actually the way that we walk is by faith, not by sight. And so my hope is that will become more clear to us and more real to us as we go forward in this series. So I want to start with some context today. Um, so starting back in verse 1 of this same passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes and he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's talking about this body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the first thing Paul does is he reminds us of an eternal and future hope, a place that is home that's available for us. Verse two, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's saying, listen, let's be honest. Life's hard. There, there's stuff we're experiencing in the here and now that, that doesn't seem to indicate that heaven's real. It can feel very distant, very abstract. But, uh, but he's purposely using this imagery of tent and home. And he's reminding us right at the start here, this, this body and even more this life I'm living, I, I'm in the, the temporary, moving, changing of, of life that is, that is the nature of this world. But that we do truly long for something more. That there is a place that is home, settled, final, eternal. And so we're groaning. Verse 3 this might sound kind of strange at first, but he says, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is he talking about there? I think he's echoing back all the way to the garden. Adam and Eve have this realization of, of themselves falling short and their immediate reaction is, I'm exposed. I'm exposed. And they want to cover up and hide and protect themselves. And, and I believe God has, has implanted in us a desire to live a life that has meaning, that has value, um, that I feel like I'm, I'm contributing to this world. I'm enriching other people's lives. There's purpose in my life. And yet, man, if you're like me, I live pretty aware of how I fall short. I, I live very aware of my failings and my shortcomings. And, and so part of the promise here of what God's communicating is we don't need to live in fear that we're gonna be exposed as frauds. But instead, 
when we stand before him and we're coming into this home he's prepared for us, all of, all, any of our, our nakedness, our shame, ways that we fell short, he's going to surprise us by saying, actually, you are going to be wrapped up in life. There's an eternity of, of joy and celebration. And I don't think it's just that life's waiting for us there. I believe we're going to be surprised how much our lives on this earth had an impact and how much God accomplished in and through us as we walk with him. I think we're actually going to be surprised by that. I believe there might be some, some moments of reflection and, and regret. Sure, we have those. But I also think that, that there are things that God is doing in us and with us in this world that are having more of an impact than we ever realize. And I believe part of our journey home is that God wants us to be aware that he's doing some really cool stuff in us along the way. And so I can either live in the awareness of regret and fear of failure, or I can stand in the fact that he's clothed me, he's washed me, he's cleansed me, and now he's accomplishing his purposes in my life, even when that's not super clear or very obvious. I'll tell you, one of, I one of the reasons I've been feeling overwhelmed this morning is I've just, I've had one of those seasons where kind of two things are happening. Number one, I've just been really aware of my own shortcomings. But secondly, part of getting to do what I get to do is I'm, in, I'm involved in people's lives and I love you guys and I know you guys and I just, I feel like it's been very, very much in my face, just some struggle and some hardship and some difficulty that's going on and and then I do that thing where I start taking on stuff that's not mine to bear and, and get overwhelmed by it. And I, I believe part of what God's inviting us into here is saying, listen, I know that you long for a life of purpose and meaning and value. And I also know that the road that you're walking is hard, that it's difficult. But he's saying, hold on. I'm working some eternal purposes. You are heading towards a home that is settled and sure and lasting. And so he, he goes on now in verse five and says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He's placed these innate desires in us. It's God that's given us those desires and check this out. It's he who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. This was so encouraging to me because, you know, I, I like to think that I'm thoughtful and creative and really plan things out really well, but I'm not. <laughs> and and I, I've done a lot of wrestling of, okay, God, as we're wrapping up this, this series on the Holy Spirit, what's next, where are we going, and had a couple of different ideas and just kind of felt settled on, I think we're supposed to talk about faith. And then... Um, then I was massively encouraged by my bro, Alex, last Sunday. And the word that he brought, if y'all missed that, man, go back and listen. He did an awesome job. Um, but even more than commending him on a job well done, the Lord was encouraging me personally through that. I, I could see God's fingerprints all over things Alex was sharing that were kind of, kind of pulling together things from the Abide series on just seeing God's presence in our lives and living with him. And I could already see the way God was putting his fingerprints on places we're heading, talking about faith. And so I knew verse seven was something I wanted to talk about in this series and was gonna be an anchor point. And so this week I kind of sat down to start wrestling through this. 
and came, came to verse five and looking at the context and God going, the guarantee is my spirit in your life. Yes, the way God is gonna grow and produce faith in us is by his abiding presence. That as much as I'm kind of stumbling through this difficult life, he's with me and he's in me and he's for me. And so I hope that can be an anchor point for us as we continue on. So Paul certainly points to it that way. Verse six, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. He's present, he's with us, he's for us. So what does this mean? What's this gonna, gonna look like? What, what this is gonna look like as we move into this series together is we're gonna talk about um, the object of our faith. There, there's encouragement along the way from Jesus regularly where we feel like what we have to bring isn't enough. And so how does Jesus describe faith over and over again? Like a mustard seed. How does Jesus respond to people who are calling out in faith? Regularly, they're saying, I've got some faith, but help my unbelief. <laughs> There's all these people aware of their shortcomings and Jesus doesn't go, ah, I can't believe that. Come on, pull it together, get it together. He encourages the faith they have and then spurs us on to more. And so we, we, our anchor point isn't how much faith I have. My anchor point is him. I'm putting my faith in him and on what he's promised. And so we're gonna spend some time talking about him being the anchor point of our faith. Um, we're gonna talk about faith for the journey itself. Um, faith that helps us see, um, see victory at times. Faith that helps us endure in hard seasons. How, how God uses faith to help us when we're afraid. So those are just some of the areas we're gonna go in this series. Um, so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna, I wanna begin by reflecting on the life of Gideon. Now, we're going to read some more in Hebrews chapter 11 along the way, but I, I want to start with the very first verse in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to skip down to verse 32. Um, how many of y'all are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11? All right, if 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, Hebrews 11 is the what chapter? Faith chapter, right? It's even known as the hall of faith, and there's all these different characters. And, and so it's going to be somewhat of an anchor point at times in this series. Um, but uh, the writer of Hebrews says something that I feel like ties in really closely with walking by faith, not by sight, when he opens up this passage and says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God, God wants us to have an anchor point in the midst of uncertainty. And what we're going to see as, as we work through some of these stories is we're going to see real people who blew it, real people who had encounters with God where his voice seemed loud and clear in their lives, and yet at other times, long seasons of nothing, crickets, desert seasons, uncertainty. But in the midst of it, God's faithful. And so we're going to start this morning um, with actually a character that's not talked about in this passage so, so as Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is kind of going through just this list of some Old Testament folks who had, 
had walked in faith with God. He gets kind of to the end of his list. And in Hebrews 11.32, he says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we don't have time to talk about Gideon. Well, guess what? We got some time this morning. So we're going to take a look at the life of Gideon. So if you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, if you're following along in your Bible, in just a minute, we'll start reading it together on the the screen. But I want to set the stage a little bit here. Um, uh, There's this kind of classic story of Gideon Um, And God calling him to to face this overwhelming army with overwhelming odds. And there's this large group of soldiers that he has kind of available to him, but it pales in comparison to the enemy. I mean, it's like a a tenth or or even like 5% of what the enemy has. And the, the famous story goes that God looks at all that and goes, you actually have too many guys. And it gets whittled down to an even smaller number and then whittled down to 300 guys. And so there's just this classic story of Gideon and this army of 300 and the way God shows up and conquers the enemy. So that's kind of what we're familiar with. But that's not not where the story starts. Gideon doesn't start out as this valiant warrior. Gideon and, and the people of Israel are in a season that's lasted about seven years where they're in captivity. And so, man, they've, they've come out of Egypt. They've established themselves in God's promised land. And as we kind of see over and over again throughout the Old Testament, man, they were, they were in a hard season. And the Midianites had come and had enslaved them. And these guys were tough. Like not only are they kind of having to basically give all their resources to Midian, the way Midian is described, the way the, this army is described, is they're like locusts who swarm and come in and consume all of the resources. So they were just like robbing Gideon and his people blind. And so the only way they could survive was whatever they could gather and hide and keep from the enemy. And so when we pick up the story, we're going to find Gideon hiding in what was most likely a cave. He's in this kind of underground, hidden area trying to protect the little bit that he's got. And so that's where we're going to pick things up. So Judges chapter 6, now beginning in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. All right, there's a lot going on here. So we get an idea of his lineage, right? His father, Joash, who's of this, this kind of small family, this small clan, the Abyssalites. Um, they were part of the tribe of Manasseh, all right? So, so Israel has these 12 tribes. Manasseh's one of them. And the Abyssalites is like this little kind of family group that's a part of that. And so he's a part of this family and living in this little town. He's hiding in a cave And it stands out to me. It says he's beating out wheat in the wine press. Now, if if any of you remember our series on Ruth that we did a while back, if you were around, one of the things we talked about 
is the process of sifting the wheat, where you could separate the wheat from the chaff and the good stuff that's left over, the harvest that's left over is available to then, to then use as flour and to, to eat. And what Gideon is doing is the opposite of what you're supposed to do. What you would normally do at the harvest time is you'd get that wheat and you'd actually go up on a hilltop, a place that's very open and exposed where the wind would blow through. And then you'd take something like a blanket and you'd put the wheat in the blanket and all you had to do is just toss it up in the air and the wind would take care of it. It would blow through the wheat because the wheat, the chaff, the flour, it all had separate weight to it. And so the wind would blow across and some of it would only go this far and would drop in a pile and that's the junk. And then it would blow to the next pile, and there's the good stuff. And that's how they would separate it out. It was just kind of this, this simple, easy process. But think about where Gideon is. Gideon is in a cave. He's hiding from the enemy that's ripping him off. He doesn't have this wind available to blow through and do the work for him. So instead, he's in there just trying to beat out the wheat. Man, I don't know about you, but that story resonated with me so strong. How many times in my life do I just feel like I'm struggling and striving in my own strength, just trying to eke out a living? Or, or on a spiritual level, just trying to hold in there in my walk with God, and it's like I'm just striving and struggling, and it's so difficult. And, and why is Gideon doing this? He's trapped there because of fear, because of the enemy. And in the midst of that, God shows up. And I, I love this image of him like resting under the oak tree. And God shows up and he begins to engage with him. And notice what he says in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If you hear nothing else this morning, I hope you hear this. The first step of faith is not the step we take. The first step of faith is God's move towards us. God shows up and sees something that Gideon cannot see. Does a guy hiding in a cave from his enemies sound like a mighty man of valor to you? No, he sounds cowardly. But God sees something more in him. God sees something in him. God has faith for Gideon that faith doesn't have, that Gideon doesn't have for himself. God sees what Gideon can't see. And the way he starts this is not saying, Gideon, you have what it takes. What he starts with is saying, I'm with you and you have what it takes. That should be the anchor point of our faith. That God is with us and that he sees something in us that we can't even see ourselves. He's got faith glasses. He's got that eyesight that can see past the obvious to something more. And so he looks at Gideon in this situation, in this story, and he says, listen, you might be afraid and you might be working really hard and not getting much for it, but I have something more for you. I'll, I'll meet you in the cave and then I'll call you out of it. I'll come right there where you are. I'm present with you and I see something in you you don't see in yourself. 
Now, I love Gideon's response to this because it's just, it's a, such a natural reaction. It's such a human reaction. He, he, what he doesn't do is say, okay, awesome, let's go for it, and rolls up his sleeves and is like, yeah, I got it. Thanks for the good locker room speech, God. I got it, let's go. He actually goes, oh, you're with us, huh? Really? Okay. Verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, now, and I want you to notice, so up to this point, first of all, Gideon's not even recognizing this is the Lord with him. I won't get into a whole theological backstory here, but this appearance of the angel of the Lord, um, most theologians believe this is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. There are a couple of moments in the Old Testament where he seems to show up, and this, this is one of them. And so he doesn't even recognize who's present there with him in the cage. He's like, oh, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? How real is that? If that's not real for you, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say to you this morning. That's been real for me. God, if you're with me so much, then why is this happening right here, right now? What's going on? Where are you? And he says, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Cool, I'm, I'm looking at these Old Testament scriptures and they sound great, but where's that today? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Okay, cool, great. He took us out of slavery then, but look where we're at now. I just, I recognize in my own life it. you know, we've made, sometimes we've made faith about like the moment of deciding to give my life to Jesus, right? The moment of salvation, and I believe that's a crucial moment and a massively important step of faith to recognize the power of God's saving grace. But I think part of where we get tripped up along the way is then we feel guilty when we've been rescued from sin and we're no longer slaves to sin and we belong to him and we're his kids and then we find ourselves kind of stuck again. And maybe it's a sin we're struggling with. Maybe it's a hard season where it's like, God, I don't, I don't feel like this loved child of God. I feel lost, confused, alone. I feel stuck. That's real. That happens. And so Gideon communicates that. God, where are you? Why are you with us? And I love that the Lord doesn't give up on him or turn his back and go, find, go to the next cave down the road and, I don't know, Find Bob. <laughs> he sticks with Gideon. He sticks with Gideon. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him. Over and over again in scripture, we see God stop and look at people. I hope you know that God sees you. Chris, he sees you right here, right now. For he sees you, what you're going through, what you are, he sees you. When we cry out to him and say, what's up? What gives? Where are you? What it feels like is happening is that he's done this. But it's not the truth. And so even though he hasn't done this, God wants to make sure we know he hasn't done that. So the scripture says he turns and looks at Gideon. 
I see your hurt. I see your struggle. I see where you're stuck. I see you. And then he looks at him and he says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. He just reinforces what he's already said. I'm with you and you've got what it takes. But he does it personally. He leans in. I think, I think part of what rips us off along the way is we sort of get lost in the sound bites. You know, we get lost with just the verses you stick on your fridge and they lose their power in their life because it's just a, a cool little phrase to post on Instagram or whatever. I mean, I'm all for posting Bible verses on Instagram, but you know what I mean? Like, like it, just, it can just kind of get boiled down to a little quip. And so what, what God does is he doesn't change the promise The promise is he's present and the promise is you've got what it takes. He doesn't change the promise, but he leans in and reinforces it with his presence. He says, I want to make this promise become real in your life today. I want you to know that I see you and that this thing that I've said is real to you right now, right here. And so he makes that first step of faith to kind of step into our world, step into our difficulty. And then he looks at us and says, that promise is real for you right now. I'm with you and you've got what it takes to face this. And so verse 15, Gideon replies and says to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So, okay, he stopped accusing God of not being present. But he doesn't then immediately jump into, cool, I have faith now. Okay, God, I've stopped accusing you. I see you're here with me. You're present. But now I'm back looking at myself, and I'm going, I don't have it. I see you're here, but what do I do now? And God doesn't see that as a weak individual but as someone who has humility and is looking to him for answers. I want to encourage you. Faith, faith is not about never having questions. Faith is not about never having doubts. Faith is about what do I do with those? And what God wants to communicate to us is that he can handle the hard questions. He's not judging us for them. He actually understands that that is real to us. And he's saying, come to me with those questions. I can handle it. Come to me with them. And so he leans in and he steps in and we can bring him those hard questions. So again, just like, man, I just, I don't, how am I going to do this? I don't see it. And so Judges 6, 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. When he's saying you're going to strike them as one man, he's not saying you're going to be on your own. He's saying we're going to be so intertwined together, we're going to strike them as one man. I am with you and me and you is enough. And however big, however overwhelming, however difficult the circumstances feel, me and you together, we're enough, buddy. We've got this. And so he continues on, Judges 6, 17. He says to him, Okay, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it. You're here. You're with me. You're present. I'm starting to get it. 
Okay, with you, I'm strong enough. Cool. Um, now, if I've found favor in your eyes, okay? Now, if you ever hear that phrase in the Bible, if, if I found favor in your eyes, what he's really saying is like, hey, don't be mad at me. <laughs> I, I'm gonna take a little risk here. Don't be frustrated with me, but I just gotta ask one more thing. If I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who is speaking with me. God, is this really you? Are you really here? And what I love about God is he, he shows up in those circumstances. Over and over again in these stories, we see God answering this call of, can I trust you? And so in this passage, the next few verses, Gideon prepares this meal and brings together what he has and sets it before the angel of the Lord and kind of on this little like altar. And it says the Lord touches the meal and it, it's consumed by fire. And then he disappears. God actually responds to his request. What I love about this is that's not the only time Gideon asks God to prove himself. A little bit later in the story, God's like, hey, go attack those bad guys. He's like, cool, well, if that's really you, I'm gonna put this cloth outside before morning. And would you just make the dew only show up on the cloth and not on the rest of the ground and then I'll know it's you. God's like, okay. And he does it and it happens. And then he's still not convinced. He's like, okay, God, now tomorrow do the opposite. <laughs> have it show up on all the ground, but have the cloth be dry. And God does it again. And God, God wrestles with Jacob. And Jesus is patient with Thomas. He says, here's my side. Here's my hands. We, we can come to him in our wrestling and, and he will be patient with us. I, I love this quote from last week, Alex's quote. We follow a God of mystery in a culture that worships certainty. In our faith journey, there are just gonna be times where we are uncertain, but that doesn't scare God off. He leans in and he says, embrace me, I'm with you. Let's wrestle through these questions. See, the truth is when, when I'm telling this story, it's like, okay, I can see the story and I can understand my fear holding me back and being stuck and feeling discouraged. And I'm grateful that there's a God out there who loves me and will come be present and see stuff in me I can't see in myself. That's great. And I love that, that God showed up to Gideon and they had this cool interaction. Awesome. How's that gonna happen in my life? You know what my answer is? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I still don't even know in my life when he's going to show up and do that. I've seen him do it in my past. I also am very familiar with having long stretches of time where nothing like this was happening, where I just felt stuck in the cave, been there. So, so what, what I choose to do is to believe that first little step of faith is realizing, God, I'm gonna take you at your word that you are making the first move towards me, that you are with me, even if I don't recognize it, that you are present. And so God, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look for you and God, I'm gonna bring you my questions. I'm gonna bring you my, where are you right now? I'm gonna bring you my insecurities. God, I just don't think I've got it right now. Lord, I don't know what to do next. God, I'll even bring you my doubts of, hey, is this really you right here in this situation? Bring that to him. 
And the beauty is the byproduct of this kind of an encounter with God. In Judges 6.22, after God shows up and lights it on fire, verse 22, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. I desire peace. I often don't really feel like I've got it. My hope and my prayer as, as we launch, not just into this series, my hope and prayer just as people walk in with Jesus. We don't have to wait till there's other sermons coming, just walking out life this week. My hope and prayer is that I am able to see that he has taken the first step towards me. That when I think I'm doing something really bold and courageous, like having faith, and I take a step of faith to go, God, I'm gonna believe you here, that I'll find he's already there. That, that he already has faith that it's gonna work out. And that I'll find that he's been present all along and that he's with me and that he's for me and that he sees where I am and what I'm going through. That's my hope and prayer. Uh, the story closes with, with, a, with a really simple story. And, and so if there's, if there's a, a point of application, if there's an action point for us, this is what I would encourage you to consider. I'm just gonna kind of tell the story real quick. At, at the end of, of this whole encounter, what God tells Gideon to do is not go out and fix everything that's wrong. What he tells Gideon to do next is he says, hey, there's, there's an altar right here in your hometown. It's your, it's your altar. It's your dad's altar. It's your culture's altar. And it, it's an idol that you guys have put in place of me. It's, it's an obstacle. And what I want you to do is go tear it down. I want you to identify the idol and go tear it down. And so the scripture describes this altar to Baal and it says there's these Asherah poles and really, really it was like a tree grove probably. So there's this, this atmosphere that the culture had created where this thing is of value. And God's saying, I want you to tear it down and in its place, build a memorial to me right there. What does that mean for us? I believe what that means for me personally is that there are things that I've given place to that I value more than I value him. I, I can't tell you what yours are. I, I know what mine is. It was exposed to me last Sunday. Mine's control. The reason I struggle with faith at times is I would just prefer to be in control of things. I think I've got a pretty good idea of how things should work out. <laughs> I think if, if A happened and B happened, that C would be the result. And it seems really clear to me, God, why aren't you getting on my page here? That's mine. It's control. And, and so what, what I feel like God's saying is, buddy, if, if you're gonna experience faith and trusting me, you're gonna have to let that idol die. You're gonna have to decide you don't have to be in control. That's mine. And so what, what I would encourage you guys with this morning, and then I'm gonna pray for us, is to consider what is the obstacle to my faith right now? Why am I in the cave if I'm in the cave? Why am I there? 
God, what's the obstacle? And then that our prayer would be that we would see him present with us, that we'd have eyes to see what he sees, that he's with us, that he's enough, and, and then to deal with that idol and say, God, my step of faith is gonna be first and foremost to say that thing's in the way and I wanna see it cut down and gone so you can, you can be in charge here. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our good God. We've been singing about it all morning, that you are good, you are faithful, you're a God of love. Lord, if I'm honest, there are times in this tent where I'm just groaning and struggling trying to get by. And so God, my, my prayer for myself this morning and for my friends today is that God, we would be aware of your presence with us, that you see us, that you're in the cave with us, that you can handle our struggles and our doubts, our questions, that God, your presence is enough. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity, give us eyes to see what our obstacle might be what our idol might be that's, that's keeping us from just seeing you present with us right here, right now. God, I, I confess that mine is control. I like being in charge. And so God, I, I wanna die to that. I wanna stop being king. I want you to be king. I pray you give us that, that vision, that clarity to see this morning what obstacle may be there. And that we could see that thing cut off at the root. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.